As you watch the screen, your heart begins to beat faster. There's a fluttering in the pit of your stomach. Your throat is dry. Your palms damp. Suddenly a chill runs down your spine. You clutch the person next to you. You tell yourself, it's only a movie. It's only a movie. But sooner or later, it's time to go home. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Ron. And this is our review of Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, starring Aaron Gray, John D. LeMay, Carrie Keegan, Stephen Williams, Billy Greenbush, Allison Smith, and Kane Hodder. Sort of. Directed by Adam Marcus. Released in 1993 on a budget of $3 million, grossed $15.9 million at the box office. Now, we need to do something here, Ron, because this is where New Line Cinema gets involved with the Jason franchise. They have acquired the rights. They decide to make a Jason film to set up what will be the culmination of our extended Shocktober here, Freddy versus Jason. They want to do their own Jason film, but I really think we should do a quick ranking of parts one through eight now that we've gone through them before we get into parts nine and ten um, here with the New Lines. Do you agree? Yeah, uh, I definitely don't have a problem with that. We may as well treat them like separate entities because that's what they pretty much are. Yeah, I mean, they really are. You, you can't continue. that. The continuity is – we're going to talk about it. It's all over the place. So go ahead and give me your, your thoughts, your favorite Friday the 13th films. How would you rank them parts one through eight? That's a great question. Um, I would have to say uh, my number one would be – Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Number four is probably my favorite, if only for the uh, gratuitous Crispin Glover. Then I'm going to go with um, New Blood, because I enjoy the Jason versus Carrie aspect. Um, then I'm going to go with the first one, which is the most 70s movie ever made in 1980. Uh, then... Uh, Probably the second one, then the third one, then uh, Manhattan, and at the very bottom end of the spectrum, and really we're just kind of splitting hairs here, uh, New Beginning and Jason Lives, is, which is number six. I would rank Final Chapter as my favorite one as well. I'm also going to put number two as the two spot, mostly because it's the one I think I've seen the most, or at least I grew up watching the most. So I, I like it. I like part seven for its unique story and, and execution. I enjoyed it. I actually like part three as a little bit of kitschy fun. I like part one in the, in the five spot. I'll put part six barely over part five, and then I'll put part eight in the in the back end there uh, because it's not very good. But that's not to say that it's bad. Like, well, it's bad, okay, but it's not to say that it's my worst one. But like five and eight sort of swap places for which one that I don't enjoy watching more. I think there's more parts of eight that I just kind of 
I don't know, don't don't really care for it. Parts five, like I can watch it and just go, how did no one figure out that this was, you know, I mean, it's it's so inexplicable. It's like it must be watched sometimes, but that's how I, w- I would rank them going into this. Now, I remember when this film came out, I was in high school at this point, and I'll be honest with you, this was, there was a, a few years in my life when I really just kind of gave up horror movies for like, for no reason other than I just kind of got out of them for a little bit. And I was, I was heavy into music and stuff. So movies were just not my thing. It's especially horror movies. So I like was aware of this film, but I had no desire to go see it. I didn't care anything about it. I, 1993, I was probably still riding the two year wave of Terminator two at that point. Like I, I still thought at that point, I thought that was the greatest thing I'd ever seen in a cinema. And I, you know, I was never going to top any of that. So I didn't know anything about this one until, Oh gosh, it had to be right when I got into college. I think I ended up renting it on a lark one night and, uh, I, you know, I didn't, I, I just thought, man, what a weird take on the whole series. I and mean, this one's always just sort of held that distinction for me as being one of the strangest ideas for a Jason film. Cause it feels so different than all of the previous ones. Yeah. It, it's, it's another Jason film that doesn't feel like a Jason film. It's like nobody at, at New Line watched any of the Paramount movies before they decided to make this one. <laughs> Yeah, that's the weird part, right? It's like, I mean, it is like New Line bought this, and then they just said, and we're just going to make a Freddy film with Jason in it. This feels like a Freddy. I haven't watched a lot of Freddy films now recently with Brian and, you know, reviewing these series side by side. I'm like, man, this feels like a bad Freddy script with Jason in it. Yeah, it really does feel like uh, one of the lesser... um one of the lesser uh, Freddy Krueger flicks, um, right down to the point of it being kind of like a weird dreamlike. Um, I, I don't know the some of the so, some of the way the sh- some of the shots look. It looks almost like Nightmare on Elm Street dream sequency. Yeah, I was I was convinced for years that this was shot with like a sepia tone filter on it because it looks so fuzzy. You know, and everything. I mean, I, the transfer on this to my DVD is pretty bad. I don't know how yours was, but uh, it doesn't doesn't look great. So no, mine was uh, pretty lousy. But I remember the original also being kind of lousy. Yeah, I mean, it's just I I don't get it, man. It's just a very strange look. But the, even though just the whole aesthetic of the film, and I realized that you know they were going for something different. They wanted to take Jason and put him in a different place but like their first inclination and this is what i just can't get out of my head is we're gonna put him in and we're gonna kill him off (laughs) like what what a stupid idea you just bought the franchise so that you can waste him i mean that's what they're saying but and and i know the setup is because we're gonna do freddy versus jason not that it would take 10 years to make that happen (laughs) but but here's my question why does jason have to be dead to make Freddy versus Jason. I see that I don't know. And when we get to Freddy versus Jason, I will talk about all the different scripts that existed to try to get those two together and what they settled on to come up with uh, goes a lot back to this. I mean, honestly, and how it, how it works out, but, um, I don't think they were thinking that far ahead on it. I mean, I don't think they had a real script when this was made. And I, I don't know. What the whole thing is, you know, I have this thing about horror movies is when you, when you get into the point where you start explaining too much of the backstory, 
When there's shit, like you can give it a little bit of it, because by the time you get to like part six or seven or nine or whatever, you gotta have something else to go on. Because I mean, clearly we've run out of ways for Jason to kill people at the camp now. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's done. So what? Where do we go from there? What what do we do? This, and this, yeah, this is clearly the um, Halloween sixing of Jason Voorhees. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, it feels very much like that did for me two years later. The, the Curse of Michael Myers version, where we have to explain this elaborate backstory, and we come up with this magical MacGuffin thing, and even the guy with the boots. You know, the whole there's so much Halloween six in this. Uh, it's, and I didn't, I'd never put that together, but having reviewed that series, you know, a while back and then, and I watch that film every year, Halloween six, cause it is a guilty pleasure of mine, no doubt. And I oh, just, yeah. and I know it so well watching this one again, I was like, holy cow, they totally ripped that off out of this. And I was like, well, of all things to steal, I mean, why would you steal this? This also feels like so much of a, yeah, at this point, I thought Freddy had been chasing Hellraiser. I felt like they were trying to mix in some of that stuff here too. With the whole Necronomicon, well, Evil Dead thing, and and all well, this, stuff. yeah. Well, there are there are a lot of references. Um, the the big crate, uh, the property of uh, Jay Carpenter crate, yeah, is the crate from Creepshow. Oh, I didn't realize um, that. Okay, yeah, it's the very same crate that the monsters in in Creepshow when the guy feeds his drunk wife to the monster. And that's that's Adrian Barbeau, I believe, that gets fed there. So yes, R.I.P.D. Adrian Barbeau's <laughs> drunk slutty wife. Um, there's uh, Pinhead's puzzle boxes in here. Yep. Uh, there's obviously everyone saw the Necronomicon. Yeah. And there's some other like references other than Freddy's gloved hand, of course. There are some other like Jaws references in the script. Yeah. Uh, Creighton Duke uh, apes the the Jaws. Uh, yeah. You the, know. You it, know what else this is ripping off? And it, it came out three years earlier. Predator Two did this. Oh yeah, yeah. There's so much, and it actually it looks like Predator too. Like as crappily movie as that was shot, it looks like that. It's the only thing it was missing was a, a you know a really badly cast Danny Glover. So uh, Stephen Williams actually is better in his part than Glover is in uh, the awful Predator too. But yeah, Stephen Williams actually would have been a better Danny Glover in Predator too. Yes, he would. I agree. So uh, I, I think before we get any further into this, though, Ron, we do need a <laughs> plot summary. Maybe for people that haven't seen this one in a while or haven't seen it at all, I don't mind us spoiling the heck out of it. So why don't you tell people oh, exactly how do we get Jason to hell? Of course, <laughs> uh, Jason Voorhees is back, and this time a special FBI task force sets a trap for him and blows him to bits. As a coroner examines the remains, he's compelled to eat Jason's heart. Thereby allowing himself to be a carrier for Jason's essence, which will transfer to several people until he can catch up with his only living relative, a sister who's working at a diner and unaware of horrific, uh, uh, unaware of her horrific lineage. Uh, we'll just call her Lori Schrode. <laughs> Jason is tracked by a mysterious bounty hunter, Duke, who claims to know how to stop him once and for all. Duke is able to tell Jason's niece, Jessica, how to kill Jason with a special dagger, which she does. And Jason Voorhees is sent to hell in a whirlwind of cheap effects and lights, <laughs> leaving only the hockey mask above ground. The mask is dragged below by an arm wearing the red and green stripes of a sweater as credits roll. Can I just say what a bunch of bullshit this story Agreed. is? I mean, of all the things we could have done, 
this is so dumb. I, and that's saying something for a Jason script that never really had a lot of genius going for it anyway, right? Like it was built to be a ripoff as it was. I mean, it was Jason goes to the people go to the camp and Jason kills them for various reasons and sundry ways. But now it's, we've got, like you said, faux Laurie Strode, faux Danielle Harris character, um, with, with one of the people that was in the Friday the 13th series, John D. LeMay. Oh, we're going to talk about that, uh, oh, great. in a second with this mysterious, uh, African American with tribal, uh, sword, like the sword turns into a Thundercat sword at one point when, you know, Aaron Gray or the niece touches it. I, d- I and, mean, that and was- it also and it also looks like a lot like the Kandarian demon knife from Evil Dead too. Yeah, well, you know what I was actually thinking? I was thinking Golden Child and my dear brother Numsi. You know, it was somewhere oh, nice. around the corner. I mean, I really, I felt like I was looking at the same, you know, a jarry dagger, or maybe from the shadow. I think that's also the same dagger. But I mean, really, this is so ridiculous. I watched this with my wife who had never seen it before. So she, you know, would get up early one morning to watch this on the weekend because I'm trying to watch this before I go into work, right? And we were watching this and the opening on the cabin in Crystal Lake, I'm like, seems all too familiar until the military shows up to blow Jason to bits. And I'm going, you know what? This is a pretty clever idea. I kind of like it. But my wife made a great point. She said, is the, is that towel like magical that the FBI agent is wearing? <laughs> because like she strips, of course, you know, cause we have to get the gratuitous uh, shots of, of her, you know, almost completely nude here. And then she runs through the woods barefoot with just that towel. Like it's the magical right. wonder towel. Great early 90s um, underwear, too, and also great early 90s breast implants, (laughs) I assume. (laughs) Well, they kind of look that way, no doubt. But not to objectify the poor woman, because she actually has a role. That's the thing. That's the the, the beautiful twist of this. And the the part that I think is genius is that woman gets killed in all these movies. No, now she's just the bait. And we find out she's one of the agents. I mean, she gets a karate kick in on him and all this stuff. And the other thing that I noticed immediately was, well, clearly the continuity here is is weird because why does Jason look like potted meat? You know, I mean, like it looks like the mask is now just sunk into his face. And all I mean, I read on the Internet and I want to I want to thank whoever came up with this, because this was pure gold to me, that the the end of part eight, where we see the child washed away into the the nuclear waste part or whatever, that was all just a, a hallucination by that main character there or whatever. This is the effects of the nuclear waste. Like it turned him into the nuclear waste monster from RoboCop or something. That that's, yeah, it turned that, him into the Toxic Avenger. Yes, yeah. So he looks like the the fat Toxic Avenger. <laughs> Even more so than usual, yeah. Yeah. And um, it's very weird. And I'm like, I, I wrote down a question. I was like, can you imagine the planning meetings that went into this operation, this military operation? Because my wife noticed these people are standing in a circle firing automatic weapons at each other, essentially. They're not just, they're firing from behind, from both sides at Jason. There's going to be some friendly fire. There's going to be a problem there. Yeah, they, they definitely, uh, well, whoever staged this scene probably didn't ask Kane Hodder because I doubt Kane Hodder would have let that happen if he'd had some input because he seems like a smart enough guy. Uh, and, and it just seems obvious to me that you don't stand in front of the guy firing an automatic weapon wildly. Right. Like it's, it's so half, half assed. 
done. Like, it's a cool idea, but it's totally executed wrong. And I'm going to say this now about Kane Hodder. He, the parts of this he's in, he looks so bored. I mean, he is just lumbering about like he is bored out of his mind. Yeah, if it's possible to be obviously bored behind a mask, he's clearly, that's clearly him. Because he, yeah, it, it, I just wonder how much of this he was actually on set for. I, so yeah, I don't know. And I couldn't find anything in the supplemental materials like that. Y'all they ever talk about is that he was there and you know, there's that part where he plays another security guard that gets killed and gets a, you know, a cheap shot in Jason, which is funny, you know, and, and he's, you're right. The man is huge. And so I think that's neat, but he's really in the beginning of this. He shows up for a couple of mirror shots and then he's in the last like five minutes. You know, yeah. So. He, I mean, he was clearly on set for like, I don't know, five or 10 days. Yeah, that. that's the other misfire of this idea here is not only are we going to kill Jason, but we're going to do a Jason movie without Jason in it, which they've already done this once after they established him before. And that worked horribly. So I think you mean they're going to do a Jason movie without Roy in it. <laughs> well, you know what? That goes back to my theory is this resurrected Roy. So, because if it is, it makes so much more. You see that that theory holds more water than you thought it did, didn't it? So it starts to work better if you think of this as Roy. And that so, helps kind of retcon um, the events of Ten, which we'll discuss when we discuss Ten. Yes, right. Well, we'll have to get to Ten when it uh, when it comes about here. But no, we're we're stuck in Jason goes to hell land here, and uh, I, I, this opening scene too. This is also feels like a Halloween Five, or looks feels like Halloween Five ripped it off. You know, we have these credits intercut with an autopsy and stuff, and I'm like, what's with this music, Carrie Manfredini? This is like the wor- also the worst score of all of these. It sounds so. Cheesed up. Phoned in. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's like, like it's, it's like he's he took some stuff he had laying around that was rejected from other movies and was just like, oh, here you go. Here's your score. Guys. Yeah, I mean, and when the when the hungry coroner goes for the heart, we have officially reached the point where I, I check out of the movie. Like the 14 minutes in, I'm like, oh man, no, this is not going to work. Like I, I'm already given up on it at that point. And that's bad because I will give a horror movie the, at least the act one setup. but this, I just can't go with, man. I hate this. Yeah. It's, it's just not good. I just feel bad. Cause I really like the Creighton Duke character. Oh, we're going to get to Creighton Duke. He's probably the best thing about this movie. Well, no, he is the best thing about this movie by far because it's the only character that's got any like life and he's the only actor that acts like he gives a crap about being there. I mean, we get the, the, the fake light show from Ghostbusters here. So the coroner's inhabited by Jason now. And I, you know, I will say that the neat idea of in a mirror, he's, he looks like Jason. But it's actually the person that's, I mean, obviously that's there for the audience. I wonder if in the initial cut, the audience is like, what the age is going on? (laughs) And they had to go back and put that in. I couldn't find anything to support that, but that feels like a note from the studio. Like you gotta, you gotta fix that. Yeah. That could easily be accomplished in reshoots because you don't even really have to show the environment around him. You just do an incident shot of Jason looking into a mirror and seeing himself right exactly like that is um it's very violent now, let me ask you this did you watch the rated or the unrated cut of this 
Um, I don't know. Well, when when he probes that other doctor, do you get a lingering shot of the the probe going through him and all that stuff, or did it cut away? Uh, I think I got the lingering shot of the probe. Okay, because if, if it cuts away from a lot of the violence, you saw the rated cut. If you see more linger shots of the violence, you saw the unrated cut. So I actually own both cuts because they're on the same disc, but I watched the rated cut because I figured you probably would watch the unrated. And uh, I don't know why I guessed that, but um, I just did. Because so- I've complained several times about the lack of, of extra violence in, in- which one was it? Five. Yeah, exactly. So, um, uh, I mean, these, these movies have been cut to pieces. So, go ahead. If the unrated cut is out there, I'm definitely going to be the, watching that one. Yeah, well, I think you did because again, if you saw the lingering probe death, then you saw. And later on in the tent, did you see the lady actually get you know stabbed with the stake? Yes. Okay, so you saw the unrated cut. We'll get to that death in a minute, but because um, I do think that's a good kill. It's just too bad it's not Jason. So I, I do love the Ghostbusters light show here, though. You know, we recently just reviewed the new one, and I want to tell you, I think the new one's effects uh, beat this one pretty pretty big. So <laughs> I think this is yeah. ripped off from part two. I mean, it looks bad. So uh, the uh, hard copy ripoff show, though, uh, American Case File or whatever, I'm like, talk about a show that's about 20 years too early. You know, like nowadays, you know, all this stuff is so popular. Uh, the true crime stuff, serial and whatnot, you know. Um, this, though, back in the day was like the National Enquirer got a TV show all of a sudden. And, and it was so hammy the whole time. Uh, the only one that had any credibility, I think, was Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, and they and it also um, did this come out before or after Natural Born Killers? Because it kind of seems like they stole um, the idea for this guy uh, from Natural Born Killers. This came out before uh, Natural Born Killers, but now I don't know if that script had been around for a while. So because Natural Born Killers, I think was no, we like ninety four. So um, so yeah, so this came out before then. So. I'm, I'm sure that script has been around for a while, though, because it was Quentin Tarantino's script. Yeah, true. Um, so anyway, but yeah, it's it reminded me of a happier time watching uh, terrible celebrity gossip shows at uh, seven o'clock after the the <laughs> six o'clock news, but before primetime kicked in. The, the good. The syndicated hour. Right. It's like the half hour that got in there in between a Wheel of Fortune or a Jeopardy. You know, after right. the news, it's, it's that or the Golden Girls was on another channel. You know, that's maybe that's what everybody else was watching. So maybe I was watching it. I don't know. Blanche was sometimes scarier than Jason in this movie. Uh, <laughs> but we do get our, our my favorite character in the movie. I don't know if it's yours or not. Creighton Duke, the bounder hunter extraordinaire. And I'm, probably probably the most lifelike character in any Jason movie, like the most interesting to watch, like Jason and. Yeah, but who ha- who has an arc to be told that is completely truncated for us? <laughs> like they tease oh, yeah, us they- to death on this guy, and all we ever really get are two exposition scenes out of him, and then a gory death, and that's kind of it. Well, he broke um, John Lemay, uh, John Lamette's fingers. Well, I mean, yeah, that's the point. Is, John is that that's his first uh, exposition scene? So, uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, I do give him all the credit in the world for making that like the scariest thing in the movie. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, it was the only thing that had any tension. So um, I did like how we get introduced to him on television. And like, but he's got such weird lines. Like the the reporter guy's asking him, when I say Jason Voorhees, what do you think? And he's like, I think of a girl in a tutu with a hot dog and a bagel. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about, man? <laughs> like, I don't get it. Like, it's 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 bad enough to where we know it wasn't improv. Right. Yeah, I know. Like someone I, wrote that. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I get the reference. I think like I get that what he's trying to to metaphor for, but that doesn't make any sense. Like Jason was always this killer that killed the people who killed his mother because they by proxy killed him. You know, he's he's avenging some wrong. You know, that's the thing that ties Freddy and Jason together is that they both are alleging some wrong. Now, they're both completely misguided by that, but that's what they they share in common. Unlike like Michael Myers or, uh, for that matter, Pinhead, who are just evil, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so that's, and that seems like that's something that they could have. Uh, the better Friday the 13th movie seemed to make. Uh, Listen to me, the better Friday the 13th movie. <laughs> <laughs> Seemed to make a little more hay with that idea that he's not just uh, some nameless force of evil, that he's got like an actual motivation. Right. Like it's always about keeping people out of that camp and stuff. Because that's what his, it was his whole mother's thing, was it keeping people out of that camp. And he's pretty much just picking that work back up. You know? Well, it's a family business. Right. Well, I mean, look, if, if we're to follow the three line here, okay? He, he gets killed in part four. He stays dead for a long time. Then in part six, he gets resurrected by the kid who killed him. So now he's pissed and he chases him for a little while. And then that ends because he gets stuck at the bottom of a lake. And then Carrie shows up. And that's that's a problem for him. And now there's people across the lake. And then those stupid kids decide to go to Manhattan. And he gets drugged all the way there. Slashed with some toxic sludge. Only to come back to the campsite to see a naked girl and get blown to bits by the FBI. So Jason's had a rough run there for about seven years yeah and and not to mention the fact that roy stole his identity so yeah. jason had to jason had to go to the bank he had to fill out paperwork I know, yeah, yeah he had to get his social security number changed you know all that good stuff well look so, it was so bad he even had to wear roy's outfit because i don't know if well, you noticed or not jason's been wearing the roy outfit for a while now <laughs> so, oh you're right yeah. so so like they kept that in continuity, but whatever. I do get a kick out of this diner here though, with Jason burgers and you know bloody finger fries or whatever, because capitalism. I mean, because why yeah. not? That's exactly what would happen, right? Like, it's, it's wouldn't the, the uh, like shouldn't the Jason burger be served like rare? Yeah, that's what I thought too. Like they're digging it out to make it look like a hockey mask. I'm like, you barely toast that one, baby. Like that that's coming bloody on the on the uh, uh, Kaiser uh, saw bun. Or to, to tie it in with the, the extended man on fire sequence, you burn it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think Erin Gray realized what kind of movie she was in? Because she is playing this like lifetime movie intense when we meet her at the diner and she bumps into Creighton Dude. No. I, <laughs> I think she just came in. She said, all right, I know what I can do. I'm just going to do this thing my way. So, and I'm going to try to maybe get some life time movie work because it'll probably pay more and be more respectable because you'll get a lot more you'll get some good residuals from those lifetime movies right like i you know i don't know all of varian gray's oeuvre i knew her as the silver spoons girlfriend you know and then buck rogers of course right and her mm -hmm. name her name is uh, uh, diana be her jason name is what I, I wrote down and that's useless information because again she's only on screen for like two scenes before she's dead and then 
maybe it's really her. Maybe it was just a good makeup body that comes back later. We'll talk about that because that's a weird scene too. But she gets I, I don't like, no time. Really remember, I don't even really remember her name being said more than like once or twice. I, yeah, it's. I, I think it's actually the sleazy reporter guy that says it. Ultimately, yeah, um, hard copy. Yeah, hard. Yeah, hard copy guy who's who's in love with her daughter, who is baby mama to John D. LeMay's kid from Crystal. It's all very confusing. I feel like I'm watching Days now. You know, like this is so confusing. <laughs> As to who's related to who, and you know, Dace would have probably made it would have made it more clear. I look only if James Franco had gotten involved at some point could that have been any better? Because there is a soap opera uh, esque way that this is put together, but it's done so very badly, and I don't care about any of it. That's the problem. Like the side story of the the body count here has never been the strength of these movies, right? But on some level, you kind of cared about the people in four. At least I did. You know, I, th- I thought they were characters to invest in. I really liked, you know, seven and we had, you know, the, the clairvoyant girl and stuff. So that was something. These people, though, I, I could care less <laughs> what their drama is. And they don't even seem to be remotely aware of what is happening around them. I did like the weird, um, Southern Gothic element of, uh, Joey and Shelby from the diner, Rusty Schwimmer, the big giant lady, and Leslie Jordan, the little short gay man. Yes, yes. What? I did it. I did enjoy that weird, like, this should be like, a um, John Waters. This should be in like yes. a John Waters movie that was being filmed across the lot. Right. That, or they feel like other versions of Ethel and Jr. from part five. You know, because they're kind of foul and they just are sort of weird and there's, I don't mm-hmm. know, there's something else going on. Or they're people from a Tarantino. You talk about a Tarantino moment. Like, I felt like these people are in a Tarantino movie or they think they are for five minutes that they're in it because they get out guns and we have that ridiculous, like, slow motion shootout scene. What the heck was that, man? Yeah, at least it was something fun to watch. That's, that might have, that might have been the most, like, fun five to ten minute sequence in the movie it's the best action scene in the movie that's for sure so. yeah and, and it's and it's plotted a lot more logically than the fbi uh stand around in a circle and shoot at each other uh game yeah that looked like something out of spies like us i'm just gonna go back to that for a minute like that's what that i expected nice. dan Aykroyd to fall in and go what's his evaluation say you know i mean really that's that's uh where are my glg 20s so, at this point, but I love how, you know, we, we get all this going. Possessed cop has the Freddy tongue and he comes in to, to get Diana, but, you know, she blows his brains out. And at that point is when Steven, John D. LeMay shows up, um, and gets this cryptic secret to save Jessica. All right. So we we're led in onto their story. Now, did you watch any of the Friday the 13th, the series? Because I will admit now that I watched that religiously. I loved that as a kid. And it's one of those things I wish as an adult, I had never gone back to revisit because goodness, is it bad? I have not. I don't even know if I knew that was a thing at the time. Oh, uh, at, the, at this time I was watching the uh, mystery science theater hour, the <laughs> syndicated uh, hour long MST three K episodes. Oh, wow. Oh. 
Well, as someone that I know is a fan of uh, things like garbage, uh, well, <laughs> Tales from the Crypt and things like that, <laughs> you you should go check out some. Of them. I think they're on Amazon now, or they may be on on Netflix. I can't remember, but they they're out there. Where you, and if you get through more than three episodes, I'll be impressed. He plays a, a cousin. Of, it's very weird on there, but he plays almost the same character on there as he does here, but with like none of the same motivations. Like I, I don't get what his, his whole motivation is. He's trying to get back with a girl who does not want him in her life, even though they have spawned together. You know, they have a child, which a child, which just gets passed around to people through this film. I might add left in a cardboard box. I mean, why it, even have the baby? It's like, I kept expecting Paul Rudd to show up and like <laughs> find the baby in a bus station. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, there, there's that angle again for Halloween six to grab a few years later. Yeah. But Halloween six does it better because the baby actually <laughs> seems like a baby and not just a football. Well, yeah, it is the football that is passed around between these people. Like at one point, Jessica leaves this with somebody. I assume she knows that other waitress from the diner, but like she leaves that kid with her for like two days, you know, because of course she she comes back. She comes back dressed for a funeral, you know, because her mother's dead. Right. Because Steven gets pinned for for killing the mom. Because uh, he's there when it all goes down, and he it, like he's got his bloody clothes still on him after being interrogated for a day. I'm like, no, he would be in a jumpsuit. Those clothes are freaking Evid- evidence. At yeah, that's state's evidence. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, this is these are the now officially the dumbest cops ever, and that will not be unproven uh, by anything later because this is just dumb. This this whole scene, like the timing of it, makes no sense. It's almost as bad as. The guy who in part four was looking for his sister who had died two days before. Oh, yeah. That already had newspaper clippings about it. I'm like, how did you get that? You know? It it feels like, well, it's a natural extension of of the ignorance of this town and its various law enforcement. We haven't seen that many competent cops uh, in Crystal Lake, and the the few competent ones we've seen die pretty quickly. Yeah. So it, it makes sense that only the idiots are still alive. I mean, the bad thing is, is that the best cops were probably the ones in part six when it was Forrest Green for that short, you know, few years. So, and those were the best cops. And the boy, none of those people are still around. You kind of wish Rick with his laser scope would come out, but holy cow. Yeah, that would have been fun. It would have been a nice, uh, uh, it would have been a nice, uh, I don't know, moment to try to tie this back into the rest of the series instead of feeling like a weird outlier. Yeah, so they, they dropped this thing that Diana is Jay, was Jason's sister. Cause this is Creighton Duke. Like he breaks John D. LeMay's fingers, Steven's fingers in jail to exchange information to see how bad he really wants it, which I'm like, this is, I don't get, again, that's the scariest thing in the movie, but it's also as unexplained as everything else in the movie. Well, so. they had to shoot it from the waist up so we wouldn't see Creighton Duke's massive erection. <laughs> Must, yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. His, that expression on his face is definitely not just I'm enjoying uh, – is, is the expression of someone who's enjoying this way too much. It is Look, it is a Hellraiser moment where pain and pleasure are in the same realm. I feel like Clive Barker got brought in to consult on that at some point. I mean, really, yeah. it does cross into that line somewhere, right? Oh yeah. And so we, we find out that American case file dude has not only like has run down Elias Voorhees, who was Jason's dad, who ran off on the mom and then had this 
Diana woman. I don't, we don't get any more on him, but we find out that's we go to the old Voorhees house and American case file dude has not only like stolen her body from the corner, but he stashed it there to like have some sort of Al Capone's vault unveiling for later on because your girlfriend's oh, he should, he, really going to appreciate that. He that's a guy who definitely needed a Geraldo mustache, though. Well, he had the like Gordon Gecko hair going, so I think that's what they were playing more of. Yeah, that uh, that makes sense. But he's the, you know, yeah, I mean, it's the eighties. Well, it it's the nineties, but it still feels suspiciously like the eighties. Uh, yeah, this is the thing. The timeline of this this is supposed to be like two thousand and something, and I'm like, no way. Like you, you people are, you have no idea what year it's supposed to be anymore. This movie is so stuck in that bad, those bad early '90s years when we didn't know what we wanted to be anymore. Like hair metal was played out, grunge was starting to come in, and everything was just either garishly weird colors and poofy, or just slouchy and weird. You know, that's that's how everything feels in this movie. And I don't get his whole, well, I get it because it's all for ratings, but I don't get what he thinks that's going to do for him, right? Um, I mean, the the Al Capone vault thing was a huge ratings success. I guess so, right? We didn't talk about the coroner transferring the Jason thing into the other cop. He does that by shaving the cop's mustache. Why? I mean, well, he's, Jason, there's well, a, Jason's always been clean shaven. I mean, there's a naked, white, overweight man strapped to a table with strategically placed leather straps. Thank to, goodness. And, yeah, and my wife, all her only reaction to that scene was "ooh," you know, and I'm yeah. and I'm with her. I'm like, I didn't need to see any of that either. Like that, no. Why? Why couldn't we go back to the FBI agent hanging around earlier on? I mean, why couldn't yeah. we have done that? But or or at least kept this guy in some pants. Something seriously, but I I don't get the shaving scene. But anyway, this cop has been Jason as long as anybody. But now his body is starting to deteriorate because Creighton Duke has laid out for us. I don't know if he's done it now or he will later. That Jason's uh, Jason uh, is a is an entity. That body he's been running around in and these bodies he's got they just won't last. And I'm like, well, that one he had lasted a long time. <laughs> So yeah, why, why are all these others all of a sudden like shoddy? I mean, that's like if you if you buy a like, Honda, they last a good while. <laughs> you know, you don't just get another one and it goes dead. It's like those 1980s Toyota Corollas you see. Yeah, the body's all rusted out and mangled, but it's still it's still running. Yeah, exactly. Which is what Jason looked like. I mean, he was all rusted out and mangled, but he's still pretty well working until he got blown into a hundred thousand pieces. You know, which hey, good- for a guy who spent. Eight to ten years underwater, depending on which yeah. <laughs> ridiculous internet timeline you read. He looks pretty good. Yeah, I know, right? Like he he you know, he got out of the water finally and dried out. Maybe that's why he puffed up so much. I don't know. But uh we get the Jason tongue uh that uh, possesses American case file guy because we have to pass it into him because uh, this is what we want, right? He, or- he yeah, which is really grotesque. I felt like though that was another Freddy thing. There's like at least two Freddy movies where there's a tongue Freddy snake thing. Part three's got a big part of it. I'm like, but we ripped that right out of Dream Warriors, you know, and it and it looks just as cheesy there as it or here as it did there too. So I don't. What's, um, what's the name of the American Case Files guy? I I don't know. I called him American Case File dude the whole time. I, mean, I, really, I really don't remember his name. Richard. Um, I 
uh, it was Robert. That was his name, Robert Campbell. <laughs> that guy. That guy was in uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Stephen Culp. Yes. Holy cow! I know he's been on like Jag. What was he in Winter Soldier? Just some random like agent guy, Scudder. Holy cow! That is so wild. Oh wait a minute, he played a senator in Winter Soldier. Yeah, that, that, one of the, that's got to be one of those like Christopher Nolan things where we just dig up somebody from the past that we want to throw in a movie and just see what happens, see who notices. Uh, he's worked steadily, good for him, but uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? He's not bad. He's actually doing his role. His role is terrible, but he's doing everything he's supposed to do with it. There's nothing here. All these people are like two-dimensional cardboard cutouts, which is pretty, you know, fair for the case for most Jason films. The problem is here is that they want them to have these deeper understandings and meetings and motivations, but there's none of it's playing right. Like, I don't buy the supernatural nature that they're trying to lay out on Jason here because... There's been nothing to establish any of this. There's nothing that establishes any of it here other than this magical black man talking about it. Yeah, and it and it doesn't even feel like something that should be in a Jason movie. Jason always has been somehow more grounded for the, an unstoppable monster zombie murder man. Yeah. It, th- it's always felt like the one that could be take place in a real world with rules. Right. The only thing about Jason that's supernatural has been his zombie state, you know, which we can accept because he was raised like basically Frankenstein, you know, and that that's how that's gone. And by electricity a couple of times. So that's like that I can buy on some level. That's he's not a dream demon. He's not something that a puzzle unlocks. I mean, I don't I just don't understand why they thought this was the way to go. He's the he, the, the only person who might be less uh, supernaturally oriented than Jason is uh, Michael Myers. Right, right. Because he's, and when they tried to go supernatural with him, it was a complete disaster. You know, so, which is, that's part six. So, yeah. But it did teach me about um, the the name for that Celtic tattoo, Thorn. Oh, the Curse of Thorn? So, I, You know what? Yeah. Uh, I, I would get that tattoo if I didn't think it would endanger my immortal soul. So, uh, <laughs> you know, because I do think that is a cool tattoo. Uh, you and me both, man. Yeah. I've drawn it with a pen many a times when I was bored uh, in class. So, um, so uh, not, not ashamed to admit that. Um, but anyway, so mo- moving on. We, we've got the thing here that Case File Jason, as I call him, comes in and starts taking out the cops, trying to implant the Jason Snake thing into Jessica so it can be reborn because Creighton Duke has laid out this thing like Jason can only be fully reborn in Jason form through a Voorhees and only a Voorhees can kill him. And that feels like uh, the supernatural riff of the Michael Myers series, which Friday the 13th did originally, you know, copy and rip off. But that feels like what they're trying to do here is that we've got to have a Strode or a Strode relative for him to chase. And those are the only people that can really kill him which is stupid, but uh, I don't, I don't understand though. The, again, the supernatural nature of all that, how that got established. They needed to have something in here and goodness sakes, this movie is short. It's not that long. Like they could have spent two minutes telling this and what did it work any better? Probably not, but at least they would have attempted to tell me what was going on. Yeah. I mean, you know, 
druids, um, uh, in, <laughs> well, Indian burial ground. What uh, I mean, witches. We, we've got the Necronomicon there, right? Yeah. So what is that supposed to tell us? That his father was into the dark magics or something? He's been playing around in the back lot with you know Willow. I don't know. His his father was um, a character from H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been like I would have even taken a Lovecraft moment at this point, right? But we don't even get that. So, so here's the thing, though. We we get the showdown at the house, and so Duke has has Luke gotten everybody back there because he has the baby at the Voorhees house where Jessica goes to learn the big secret behind all the madness, right? So Jason can only be killed by the magical sword of whatever, and so which is that transformation when he tosses that dagger and she like sideswipes it and Mortal Kombat's it. You know, and it turns into, I literally like said to my wife, Thundercats. And she totally, <laughs> she totally understood what I was talking about. You know, <laughs> that looks like a Thundercats moment, right? So this, she's got the magical dagger of a Jaunty or whatever. And then the demon Jason thing, like we get a full shot of it. What the hell is that? That's a great question. Have have you ever seen Graveyard Shift, the Stephen King adaptation? Yes. It kind of looks like the spawn of that rat thing in the the cellar. Does it not? It's got that sort of vampirish bat-looking action, but it's crawling. But the face is sort of like a hockey mask if it had a mouth. It made me think of... um, did you ever watch the MTV animated show Liquid Television? Yes, yes. Uh, well, Eon Flux, they would have the uh, – she would shoot up millions of people. Um, but when she went to kill – what's his name? I can't remember the guy's name right now. But there was like a little carbuncle carbuncle monster growth uh, that came off of him that looked basically like this thing. Yes, yes. It did look like that. You're right. That's a good a good point. I don't know what this demon thing is. It's so weird. All right. Only to be topped, Ron, by the fact that it finds Aaron Gray's lifeless body and crawls into its hoo-ha to be reborn from a Voorhees. And like, I love that they actually built a line in like, does it have to be a living Voorhees woman? Nope, it does not. And I'm like, oh, that just went to some dark places. Like, that's so weird, and that feels like something directly from the Freddy series. Like part five is all you know, the Dream Child and stuff. Which oh yeah, I happen to like that one. By the way, that that was much better done than this. This feels like they just ripped that right off. Well, I mean, it is new life. <laughs> it is, but I thought they were going to do something fresh with it here, and by fresh, I meant good. <laughs> clearly, the, clearly, they were fresh out of ideas. I mean, so the so the demon thing crawls into Diana's dead body, whatever, and it's reborn with the mask and the like previous injuries and all. It's like we we reformed the Jason puppet thing from what got blown up in the first scene. Couldn't so, we have gotten? Shouldn't we have gotten like Baghead? Jason? Yeah, or Jason without the mask. How's the mask part of his organic feature? <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense. Because in every one of these movies, they've unmasked this frigger, so why can't they do it here? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, you've clearly got the, the weird blob of face uh, hanging around. Right. So just 
put it on poor Kane Hodder again and just let's move on. I know. It's so dumb. You know, Duke gets the bear hug death, um, right? And so uh, I do like how he beat Stephen John D. LeMay with a rake, though. Um, I who thought, I who doesn't like, want to do that? I, I think Kane Hodder was like, I hate all of you. Because <laughs> that looked like the only scene where he had any energy at all. Besides when he was playing the security guard. You know, it's like, I'm just going to beat the crap out of this guy with it. And after your story about the way he nearly choke slammed you to death with the picture, I'm like, I bet he really hit him with that fake rape thing. I bet he beat the crap out of that guy with that. But, you know. Oh, Jet, yeah. He's, he's, he's clearly wailing on that dude. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's one of those guys that I think, as the wrestling world would call, works stiff. You know, oh, it's like, you're going, you're going to feel that. He's Road Warrior in that. Uh, but, I love how Jessica stabs it with the magic knife to send him to my sweet brother Numsi, as I wrote down, <laughs> with a light show that is somewhere between a Star Trek transporter uh, and Cocoon. <laughs> like, that's what it looked like to me. It's somehow worse than both of those things, yeah. Uh, which is, like, was even worse than Cocoon, too. <laughs> like, that, that's how bad it really is. And some Muppet hands to drag him down. That's what my wife said. She's like, what are the Muppet hands from the dirt? And I'm like, I, the, those are the hands from the cabin in the woods 40 years later. I don't know. You know, I mean, that's, that was my idea, but it, like, it, it's, it, yeah, you're right. It doesn't make, it, it's not a good effect. It looks cheap. Yes. It, lo- it does. And yeah. Look you like- spent $3 million on this movie, but come on, you've got cool stuff sitting around your prop department. You can grab some vines. You can just slap some pancake makeup on some people's hands and have like zombie hands dragging them to hell. Well, you know, you said, you said vines and I'm like, why not go with that evil dead motif? Why not have roots and vines do it? Since we've already sort of set some of that up anyway, that would have made more sense. I mean, it would have been a lot more fun, I think, but yeah, it made sense. I'm, I'm saying that's a stupid thing to say. This movie doesn't make any sense. So, and no more so than to have Kane Hodder put on, because that is Kane Hodder's massive arm that pops up to, uh, drag the, uh, Jason mask underneath with the Freddy glove. Um, yeah, you couldn't get, you couldn't get Robert England, like, to show up for one day. Apparently to- not. That, well, they, they ripped the laugh off out of his track. I mean, that's his laugh, I think. It's, it's the Freddy laugh for sure. Um, yeah, but they probably just cut that out of like some ADR sessions. Oh, I'm sure that was cut from like part five or six somewhere along the way, or even before. That's they just yanked that out of something. And, and if and if you're gonna cut, if you're gonna cut Freddie's laugh in, why don't you, why don't you have him say something like "Gotcha now, bitch." Yeah, exactly. That would have been perfect. Because if you're going to set up a movie that's going to take you 10 years to get to anyway, at least leave me hanging on something besides that. But this is just. You know, it's as it's as half uh, efforted as the rest of this stupid film. That's that's all I can say. So, I think we're at the point of the podcast where it's time for us to tell everybody why we're giving this small popcorn drawn. So, go ahead. Yeah, this is it. This is definitely getting a small popcorn. You have a really potentially fun character in Great and Duke, and you waste him. Um, you ham fist in some unnecessary supernatural elements uh you take your um the ideas that weren't good enough for your freddy movies and you cram them into a jason flick you find a bunch of props from better horror movies to make me look at them and say oh man i wish i was watching evil dead too or man i could go to watch creep show again or you know 
it's been a long time since I've seen Hellraiser. Let me watch Hellraiser. You, you put all this stuff in that just makes me think of better movies. You waste the one good character that you have, the one actor who's actually trying. You put um, Milk Toast and Boring Girl as your two leads. Uh, and you give me a Jason movie without Jason. And, you know, kudos to the corner guy and to um, Paul E. Dangerously for, for making crazy eyes. But there are just no – there are no Kane Hodder. And if you're going to have a Jason movie, give me a guy with a bag on his head. Give me a hockey mask. Give me a machete or some tree trimmers. Uh, you know, give me something – it, it it barely even feels like it takes place in Crystal Lake. Yeah, that's the other thing is I think this is supposed to take place around Crystal Lake. They set that up at the with the diner or whatever, but nothing else about this at all feels like a Jason movie. I mean, it, for all I know, this is like this takes place in Haddonfield, right? Yeah, and, or and, and the, the the Voorhees house is on Elm Street, right? And, yeah, it feels like such a mishmash of things that don't belong together and it's executed badly. And I mean, I read an article as, as early as, you know, late summer here where people were talking about, it's finally time for people to uh, recognize the genius that is Halloween or not Halloween. The, the genius that is uh, Jason goes to hell. And I'm like, nope, it still sucks. You know, <laughs> this movie is just not any good. And I just have the hardest time getting into any of this. It's the the terrible backstory. If you're going to give me one, at least least do something competent. Um, again, I Kane mean, Hodder we, seems so bored in it. We've already got a perfectly good backstory for Jason, right? I, there was no reason to unfold that more. You're gonna if you want to do your own Jason film. Obviously, you don't want to go back to what had been done. So. You, you got to do something. So you got to give him a new scenario. You want to invent family he didn't know about. Eh, that's a little Halloween ripping off, but you know what? That's what you ripped off to begin with. So you might as well go back to what worked, you know, like that, that would have worked like Halloween four works incredibly well. That's still it. That, Halloween four came out in the midst when Freddie and, and Jason were both being ridiculous at that point. And it was like a straight up serious horror movie. And it's, it works on that level as, as a scare film. Uh, they could have ripped that off again. I'd have been fine with it, but not this. This is just bad, dumb junk. And you know what? It's not any fun to watch. Like part eight and part five are atrocious junk. Okay. For a series that's not exactly high cinema. All right. But. I would watch both of those before I watch this piece of garbage again. Like, I hate that I even own this, actually. Because <laughs> I do not, I've never liked this movie, and it ain't changing now. So, the smallest of burnt garbage popcorn. I don't think it could ever get any lower than this uh, for me. So, I'm real interested in getting into Jason X. Only because you've teased it on the show and off the show so many times that it's your favorite Jason film. And I cannot wait to hear you defend that statement. So, because I got questions and I hope you got answers. Well, I got two, I got two words for you. Android nipples. 
which I'm going to argue now are as useless as some other things in that one. But we'll get there next time. So, of course, we are in the midst of our Freddy versus Jason Shocktober here, folks, where we've been reviewing all the Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street films. You can find all those on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com. You can subscribe to our uh, podcast on iTunes, Continuous Play Podcast uh, Film Strip. If you like the show, leave us a five-star review. Throw in a couple words there. It helps other people find the show. Retweet us. Throw our stuff out there. We really appreciate it your support. Until next time, for Ron, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121.